Welcome, everyone. Um, I'm Nina Shea. I direct the Center for Religious Freedom of the Hudson Institute. And it is my pleasure to introduce um, a very important um, panel today on a very important issue. Uh, the Boko Haram attacks in Nigeria are paralleling the ISIS, or Islamic State, uh, tax in Iraq. Uh, according to the UN, six million people have already been affected in one way or another by Boko Haram, about 300,000 displaced, thousands of refugees in Cameroon, Chad, and Niger. And um, as far as the killings go, um, it's anyone's guess. They're occurring on a constant basis as uh, Boko Haram becomes more well-armed and um, grows. The Catholic bishop, uh, Dueme of Borno today uh, is quoted in the Vatican Press as saying that there is clear confirmation that Islamization um, is occurring in northeastern Nigeria and probably uh, with the intent of all uh, targeting all of Nigeria. He acknowledged that Muslims are attacked as well, those who um, do not abide by this, uh, by um, Boko Haram's dictates are targeted, but that Christians are bearing the brunt of this. Um, what is going on is a very brutal religious cleansing, and it's occurring um, as we speak, as we are here today, in northeastern Nigeria. This is the third in a series of Boko Haram survivor talks that we've had here at the Hudson Institute. Our first was Deborah Peter. Uh, she was a, a, a girl who survived um, the assault of Boko Haram on her home and saw her own father and brother murdered in cold blood in her living room. Um, Habila Adamu also spoke here. He himself was the lone male survivor of his Christian neighborhood. He was shot in the head and managed to survive that. He brought the x-rays and CAT scans with him to show evidence of this. And both of those um, talks are on the Hudson website at hudson.org. And we are very grateful to uh, Nigerian-American lawyer Emmanuel Ogabe for, uh, for, and the Jubilee campaign for helping us with all three of these events. Uh, today, Emmanuel will be addressing a very grim question. He has spent the last month in Nigeria um, investigating the issue of, or the phenomenon, uh, recent phenomenon over the summer, of young girls um, turning up as suicide bombers for Boko Haram in northeastern Nigeria. And he wondered whether the abduction of the 300 girls, schoolgirls, uh, last April may have, may be involved in those. Uh, bombings against their will, of course. And he will, um, Emmanuel will be presenting that information. He spoke yesterday before uh, the Subcommittee on National Security of the House Oversight uh, Committee. Um, after Emmanuel, we'll hear from Sa. Sa is not her real name. Um, she's an 18 year old girl, and for her own protection, is not revealing her, her name or her home, her actual uh, village or town. 
Uh, but she was one of the 300 schoolgirls abducted by Boko Haram last April. Um, she managed to escape. Only a few did. And this is the first time she or any of the girls who did manage to escape ha- um, is telling her story in the United States. Um, when the girls, um, uh, most of whom were Christian, were taken, they were taking school examinations. And so Sa is here in the United States to, c- to continue her studies. She was a senior at the time. So she is back in high school here in the United States thanks to a program that the Jubilee Campaign has founded called Education After Escape. So uh, join me in welcoming our, our guest today. Thank you. It's a tough time to be a Christian uh, in Nigeria today. Um, not just because of what the terrorists are doing, but because of what the West is not doing. Boko Haram and has done more than ISIS has done in the last two months. Boko Haram has done consistently what ISIS has done in the last three years. And yet we have not seen the level of attention and concern that Iraq is getting um, for the victims uh, in Nigeria. Let me mention a couple of things that struck me uh, when I was in Nigeria this week. One of them was the town Michika has fallen. Now, this is a huge deal because in September last year, Michika was the safe haven where we stayed for the night in the northeast. And even then, people were impressed that we could come from America. And part of my team included a white American. And they said the last uh, Caucasians in the northeast had been evacuated a, a year earlier. So they commended us for coming, but they assured us that Michika was safe because it was a Christian town. And so we spent the night there while several, uh, about 100 miles away from our hotel, churches were being burnt uh, by Boko Haram. So you can imagine our shock when last week we heard that Michika has fallen. My colleague who went with me on that trip is still in shock. The idea that this town that was overwhelmingly Christian has fallen to these terrorists. And what you have happening now is that Boko Haram has been powered by ISIS. Uh, they've been inspired. These are uh, terror groups that feed off of each other. And so when Boko Haram abducted girls, ISIS went and abducted girls. And Boko Haram, uh, ISIS uh, declared a caliphate, and Boko Haram went and seized towns and declared a, a, a caliphate. And what is happening now is that at least half a dozen towns have similarly fallen. And you see a case where a couple hundred jihadists can overrun a town of 10,000 people. And it is scary that they can do this. Um, Now, let me point out here one of the things that really struck me from talking to some of the Christian leaders. And one of them said, we were evangelized by an American denomination, and they taught us to be pacifists. And so now we can't convince our people that they need to uh, defend themselves. 
And I think this, for me, illustrates in a shocking manner how these people, um, these Christian people, are literally being led to the slaughter because of the notion of pacifism. They cannot defend themselves. Um, now, most of the girls who were abducted and most of that part of northern Nigeria was evangelized by Church of the Brethren, an American uh, denomination. And I think that we need to find a way um, to re-educate them that it is okay to defend yourself. Um, as a Christian uh, and as a lawyer, I understand the principle of self-defense. But in, in Nigeria, Nigerian Christians even find it difficult hiring a lawyer because they believe the Bible says you shouldn't go to law with one another. So you can't even make the leap to say, you know, when your church is being attacked, your family is being wiped out, you need to stand up for yourself. And, and with this situation that we see, um, more and more cities could fall to these terrorists in next to no time. Uh, the other quick point I wanted to make, and, and I, I want to just create a context um, before I introduce Sa'a, who will uh, share with us her story. But the other quick point I want to make is that we have seen headlines of uh, Yazidis and Christians besieged on a mountaintop in Iraq. And this was last month. Guess when I first saw those headlines in northern Nigeria? In June, when we went with a delegation uh, of congressmen to Nigeria, we got a text from an American missionary saying, there's a thousand Christians stranded on this mountaintop. What can you do about it? They're starving. They're surrounded by Boko Haram. And I have to tell you, and this is one of the burdens I live with every day, waking up knowing that we never did anything about those people. And so today, um, I, I want to throw out a question that we must ask ourselves. Christianity came to West Africa less than 200 years ago. And somehow, people are now paying for that faith that they accepted from the colonialists with their lives. And we have, you know, radical, violent jihad going on. And the West cannot or should not allow West Africa or Africa, because this is beginning to happen in East Africa, to fall into the old war um, of the 7th century where people are being wiped out uh, for their faith. And so I, I will end my remarks uh, at this juncture with a quick point. It, it's alarming that we're in an age where Britain is now a transit origin and destination country for radical jihadists. When just a few short years ago, Britain was the major exporter of missionaries who brought Christianity to West Africa uh, and to Africa. And so I, I know that we can feel, oh, it's not our concern what is happening in that far corner of the world, but it is our concern. Because when 9-11 happened, none of us thought that a dozen men could come and take the lives of 2,500 people in the heart of America. It was, I think, beyond the, re the realm of our imagination. In the same way that I could not have imagined that Michika would fall, Michika has fallen. And so, ladies and gentlemen, with those few remarks, 
let me uh, introduce a young lady who I just met this week, but who I've heard so much about and who I consider a heroine of our times. Um, Nina has mentioned the uh, Education After Escape pro project, and I'll tell you how we conceived it. What happened was that we went out with some congressmen and women to Nigeria, and they met a few of the girls who had escaped. But when we came back, guess what? The girls traveled two days back to their community. And for the next week and a half, we kept receiving reports, we're hiding in the bush, Boko Haram is attacking, and so on and so forth. And we were really troubled by the notion that we came back to our safe places, but they went back into the theater of conflict. And so working with a few people, we were able to get a few of the girls um, scholarships in the US to continue their education, and we'll be able to get them out here. But one of them said to me, I wish you could bring my friend. And I said, what's so special about your friend? She said, when we made the decision to jump out of the moving truck, I fell and I injured my legs and I couldn't move. But my friend stayed with me, dragged me through the forest as much best she could. When I couldn't go any further, she went and she got help. And it's because of her that I'm alive today. And so we walked for several more weeks and everything. We were able to get a scholarship for her. And it's with great pleasure that I introduce to you the girl who will be known as Sa'a. Let's welcome her to Washington with a round of applause. Can you tell us your story? Well, what happened on 14th of February was that? April. 14th of April, I mean, we are in our hostel. We are sleeping around 11.34 p.m. Then we are sleeping. We had gun shooting in the town. Then after we had gun shooting in the town, then we decided to walk up. Then we woke up and come out from the room, and we gathered ourselves in the hostel premises. All the girls in the hostel were out. Then we gathered ourselves together. We are just hearing the gun shooting in the town, then after that, I've called my father through phone. Then I told him what is happening. Then he said, uh, I should not go anywhere. We should not go anywhere. We should gather ourselves together and pray so that God will help us. Then I said, okay. Then we stayed together with my friends, with my colleagues. We gathered ourselves all together. Then the Boko Haram people came into the school after they entered the school, they went through our staff teachers where they were sitting. Then they parked their old uh, motor vehicle. Then they come to the hostel. When they entered the staff quarters, there were no teacher, no anybody there. They all run away. Then nobody come and talk to us. Then after that, they come into the hostel and they have guns. We think maybe it's our teachers and the security to come and guide us. But we don't know that they were the Boko Haram. Then after they came in, they asked us to gather ourselves together, not to run away, not to shout. If we shout or we run away, they were going to kill us. Then we gathered ourselves together. We don't know what to do. We were scared. Then they start asking us that, where is the cement block print machine is? Then we said, we don't know anything about the machine. Then they said, if we didn't tell them the truth, and if we didn't show them where the machine is, 
they were going to kill all of us. Then we said we don't know where the machine is. They still asked us, where are the boys hostel? Then we said the boys are not sitting in the hostel. They were in the town. When they come to the school after class, then they went home. Then they said, okay. After that, they asked two of our girls to go and show them where the store is, where our food was kept because the school was boarding school and our food was kept in a store. Then the two girls stand up and went and showed them the store. Then they packed all our food and put on a big trucks, a large trucks, a high trucks. Then after they packed all the properties in the school, then they asked us to move out from the hostel to the area classes. Then after we got there, they gathered us together near our gates, near our hostel gates. Then after that, they start burning everything in the school. After they burned everything in the school, then they asked us to move out from the school premises. Then they were around us with guns. They said if we shout or if we run, they were going to kill all of us. Then we are moving, we are moving with them. Then we move a little bit, then they go they went and gather us under a big tree. Then after they gather us under the big tree, they bring their old cars. They have many cars, about thirty cars. Big cars, small, small cars, hillocks, they have many cars. Then after that, the trucks was little big and high. Then we can't claim the trucks. Then they bring a small car under the big trucks and ask us to claim the small car and to enter the big trucks. Then they said, if we didn't enter the trucks, if any one of us decide not to enter the trucks, she should come out, let them kill her. Then we said, okay, then we start entering the trucks. Then after we enter the trucks, we are many. Then the trucks will not carry all of us. Then they decide, uh, they said they told those that uh, remains to move to move with their foot. Then they start working with their foot. Then after we are working, we are working. Then we went to one village called Ping. Then after that, we reached that village. Then they asked the other girls to enter the cars. Then many of us were sitting under another person's leg. Then the car was full. Then three girls remained. After three girls remained, the car was not able to carry all of us. Then they start asking the girls. They asked the first one. The first girl was a Muslim girl. Then they asked her, are you a Muslim or Christian? Then she said that she's a Muslim. They asked the second one, are you a Muslim or a Christian? Then she's a Christian. Well, she told them that she's a Muslim. Then they asked the third one. The third one was a Christian. Then she said, no, I'm a Christian. Then they decided to kill her. One of them said they should kill her. They should not let her go. They should kill her and let the two Muslim girls go. Then and some of them said that they should not kill them, let them go. Then they decided not to kill them, but they asked them to run away, but they should not turn back. If they turn back, they are going to shoot all of them. Then they run away and come to the town. Then they start moving with us. We are moving, we are moving, we are moving. We still reach another village. Then we are moving, we are moving. Then some of our girls start jumping down from the trucks. Then after that, we are moving. We pass that village. Then 
I told my friend that I decided to jump down from the trucks. I rather die that my parents have my cough and buried than to go with them because we don't know where we are going. Then she said, okay, she will jump with me. Then I said, okay. Then after I jumped from the trucks, because we are moving in the middle of forest, and our right side and our left side were forest. Then if we jump down, we are entering the forest. Then after that, I've jumped down. Then my friend followed me. Then we entered the forest. Then I realized that she injured her leg. She can't move again. Then I decided to help her so that we should enter the forest, not to stay near the road. Then we entered the forest and we stay under a tree and we slept over there till morning. Then after we slept there in the morning, then she can't move. We don't know what to do. Then I decide to go and look for help. Then I stand up. I went through the forest. Then I went. Then I met a shepherd. Then after I met him, then I asked him for help. He decided not to help us because he's afraid to. Then he said, the only help he can do for us is that we should wait maybe around 10 or 9 p.m. Maybe there are people that will pass on the road to go to market. Maybe they will help us. Then we said, but sir, you know that uh, the bad people follow, follow this way. No, any person will come to the market today because they were afraid. Then he said, okay. Then he decided to help us, and he carried that my friend under his bicycle. And we start moving from the forest. We are moving, we are moving. Then we come to a village. We come to the village that we pass. Then we met people that were going to look for their daughters. Then they help us and take us back to Chibok. Then after we go to our town, then when we reach the town, the people were running because in the morning there were Nigerian army who were coming to the school to see what's happening. Then they were afraid. They think maybe the Boko Haram people. Then they were running. Then the time we are there, we don't know what to do. Then one man helped us with his uh, motor vehicle and take us from there. And after that, he took us from there, and we met an Okada man. Then he took us home and bring us home. When we come home, I met my parents crying. My all relatives are crying because what happened. Then after that, the, the time they saw me, they were happy. They were jumping because of what's happening. That's all that happens. So thank you so much. Um, <laughs> takes a lot of courage to um, one survive that and to pick up the pieces and come to continue your studies and then three to even share it with us. So thank you very much. So um, we have some time to take some questions. Um, yes, sir. Please identify yourself uh, and and now wait for the microphone because this is being. Um, all of this is going to be uh, posted on our website. In fact, it's live right now. My name is Dominic Cardella. I'm a retired water resource engineer. Uh, of course, we are all extremely outraged by 
these crazy and fanatic Islamic terrorists. Uh, but this is particularly addressed to you, Emmanuel. You made reference to the fact that the West is just looking and not doing anything, with particular focus, I would think, on the United States. United States cannot be policing to the world. You're from a very oil-rich country, Nigeria. Why is not your country doing more to eradicate these crazy extremists? Well, um, I think it was some movie, uh, I don't know if it was uh, Spider-Man that said, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, and I hate to quote a movie to make this point, uh, but the fact is that America is the beacon of light to humanity. Um, for some people, for some people, America is a bad word. Uh, to give you an illustration, when I was uh, arrested and I was being tortured by the regime of General Abacha because I was advocating democracy and human rights, one of the first questions they asked me was, have you been to America? Because they think that the only people who are crazy enough to advocate for human rights and democracy must have an affiliation with America. Um, true, Nigeria is a, a, a poor, oil-rich country, um, and they could do more to fight terrorism. But here is the problem, and if you see some of my testimony in Congress, for the last two years, America has been telling Nigeria, you know, don't fight this terrorist. This is not a military thing. This is economic. Uh, this is not jihad. I call it the see no jihad, hear no jihad, say no jihad strategy. And so they weakened Nigeria's response. The president of Nigeria was made to believe that if he threw more money at northern Muslims, that it would cure this problem. I said that that did not make any sense. And it wasn't until last year when a Muslim governor uh, called the president and said, Boko Haram has seized you know, territory in my state. We're losing the state. That the Nigerian government defied the US and sent in the troops. So that is uh, part of uh, you know, the culpability um, of US foreign policy with regard to that position. Then last week, a U.S. diplomat shows up in Abuja and says to Nigeria, you're not taking this problem seriously enough. You're losing territory. You need to stop the denial and deal with this. I mean, I mean, if you compare both situations, you will almost not believe it's the same State Department that said all these things last year, that is saying this now. Now they're making it seem like the Nigerian government was not acting uh, strong enough to deal with this issue, when all the while they've been bashing the Nigerian government saying, oh, you're, you're, you're being too high-handed in responding. And so there is uh, a, a nexus, I think. Uh, but I, I want to make this very clear. That, listen, Boko Haram just released a video uh, a couple of weeks ago where they said, we want to kill white people. He actually said, I want to cut white people. I want to kill uh, Obama's people. If they have the opportunity, they will do it. They see Christians are synonymous with America, and America is synonymous with Christians. So they're killing those they think are affiliated to the American Christian religion. So we're all in this together, and we need to figure out how to resolve it. As I said, ISIS and Boko Haram 
and even the, the moral front in Philippines, they're all feeding off of each other. It will be very tragic if we do not feed off of each other in trying to preserve our contemporary civilization. <clears throat> yeah, I'd just like to add that um, it was less than a year ago that the United States finally named Boko Haram as a, a terrorist organization. And Emmanuel led that campaign to get the State Department to do that. Before that, uh, our Assistant Secretary of State, Johnny Carson, was giving speeches uh, to CSIS and other places around town saying that this was a situation where um, um, this group was reacting against um, they were impoverished and they were acting against the, the poor delivery of government services. That's almost a direct quote. So, um, yes, the analysis has been um, counterproductive and um, really steered them in the wrong direction for a very long time. The, the Boko Haram is not a new phenomenon. Um, it's been around for about over 10 years. Yeah. Um, growing, building, and then became much more lethal after it received weapons from uh, Libyan caches, among other places. Well, you know, I'll be happy to do a couple of things. One of them is I'll refer you to my congressional testimony. Uh, you can look at that. And then if you can get my details, we'll talk about this uh, some more. But I think we want to open up um, to other people. And I'm sorry that I wasn't able to uh, answer my, your question to your satisfaction. Yes, front row and then the second row. And again, please identify yourself. Hi, um, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Howard LaFranchi with the uh, Christian Science Monitor. Uh, Sa, if I might ask you, I understand it, it didn't sound like you were a lot of time with the, uh, with the Boko Haram militants, but I'm curious, in that time, was it just all, was everything all focused on uh, getting you out, um, the, the escape and things, and was there any, um, uh, I don't know, we, we've heard about um, uh, using girls' um, sexual purposes. We've heard about uh, forced marriages. Um, was there any, and, and you did, of course, tell us the story about the three girls. Um, but I'm wondering if, if in the time you were there, uh, you got any sense of um, what was, um, what, the what the point was, what the girls were going to be used for, if there was any um, effort at uh, conversion, proselytizing, uh, what was going on while you were in their hands? Well, at that time, the other girl said she's a Christian. When she denied Christian, she said she was a Muslim. And I feel shocked and I feel very bad. Why is she denying Christian that she said she's a Muslim? Well, they were proud to hear that we denied our Christian and said we are Muslim to become a Muslim. Well, the time that she said that she was a Muslim, I was shocked and I was very sad that she said that she was a Muslim. That means that she just, well, that means that she just wants Maybe I don't. I, I'm thinking at that time that maybe if they killed her at that time, what is she going to say to the Lord in heaven? I was shocked and I was very sad at that time. So I I um I was wondering um if you had seen the video 
of 300, the, the girls, the school girls from Chibok. There was a, a, a video that was released by Boko Haram and on YouTube. And if you saw that, whether you uh, recognized any of the girls in the, um, in the, in the video. Yes. You saw it and you recognized some mm, of them. Yes. And they I were all um, dressed in, they all had veils on and were reciting um, Islamic prayers. Yes. Yeah. Mm. It, were any of those Christian girls, do you know? Yes, they mm. were Christian girls because the one that stand at the front, she was a Christian and she was in FCS um, officials. It, that's the, the Fellowship of Christian yes, Students. Yes, Fellowship of Christian Students. She was an official in our FCS. She was one of the leaders. Yes, yeah. and mm -hmm. she's the one standing in the front saying all rubbish things of Muslims. Mm. But she was uh, no doubt coerced and no doubt threatened to, to kill them all. Um, yeah, I, I think your question leads to the next my next presentation, and uh, w we can do that and take questions on both sides of her presentation and mine. Um, the girls that we have seen so far are those who escaped in the first 48 hours. Um, she's in the first 24-hour period. Um, we've seen girls who escaped in the first, in the second 24-hour uh, period. Um, we're looking to see if there's any who escaped from the camps ultimately. Uh, so this leads me to my uh, findings, the findings of uh, our investigation. Uh, let me start with this disclaimer that we did not set out to investigate um, as though we were law enforcement. We, we assumed that law enforcement was doing what they were meant to do. Um, and so we just did analysis and research. Uh, unfortunately, a blogger put out the photographs of the remains of a girl that was recovered from one of the so-called female suicide bombings. And they placed it next to the pictures of the girls who were abducted from the schools. And they said, this girl uh, is the one who was blown up and whose uh, remains are featured in this picture. Without my knowledge, uh, someone took this information to some of the girls in Nigeria and said, oh, you know, they said one of your school mates has been killed, and this is the picture. And they looked at it and they said, no, that, that, that's not that girl. And apparently, I mean, everyone's relieved. Oh, good, these girls are not being used. And unfortunately, this is what happened. Oh, that's not that girl. It's this other girl. And so that set us off investigating and digging. And this was a very difficult process to do because in my work, uh, I, 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 in my regular work, uh, I'm defending a case uh, of someone in Indonesia. And we're trying to establish his Nigerian identity and we couldn't find passport records, the database, to establish the simple fact that he was Nigerian. Uh, we ended up having to do a DNA test to be able to even show that his brother was Nigerian, therefore establish him. So without all of those forensic elements, it was very difficult to do this investigation. That's why it took us a month. And finally, uh, this week, after reviewing all the 
photographs and all of the evidence, we have determined that a young girl who was recovered, whose head was recovered from a suicide bombing in a school uh, in Kano um, recently, about a month ago, was a schoolgirl who was abducted from Chibok uh, on the same night with these girls. Um, she is, and we're giving this detail, I cannot give her name now because we've been trying to locate the family to let them know, but they are apparently in hiding or something. It's been very difficult. Um, but just to reduce the trauma on the family members, we're trying to give as much detail as possible so that other families will not be traumatized. She's the daughter of a pastor. Um, she's the daughter of a pastor with the Nigerian denomination of the Church of the Brethren. Uh, she was 18 years old. And from our walking theory of the case, it looks like, and again, this is, a lot of this is circumstantial, but the ID is, I want to say, an 80% confirmation that this is the girl. The theory of the case is that she seemed to have been told she was going to be let go after conducting an errand. And, and so she may not have been aware uh, that it was a setup and she was remotely detonated. Now, uh, again, we are not able to release the name now. As soon as I receive confirmation that the family has been notified, we will uh, release her name. But what we have done is we did two things this week. The first was to let the Nigerian authorities know um, this is our determination and they, they can use those facts uh, and, and work with that. And we also met with community leaders and said, look, you know, find the family, let them know if this gives them closure, whatever, uh, we're, we're also willing to uh, assist them whatever way they can. But this is pretty much uh, a firm determination. And there are very few times in my life that I would, I really wish I were wrong. I honestly want to be able to see this girl someday and apologize and say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry that I was wrong, but I'm glad that you're alive. But some of these parents have said, we want closure. We cannot remain here just waiting endlessly, not knowing what is happening to our daughters. And uh, this is uh, what we've been able to establish. <clears throat> Please identify yourself. Uh, my name is Sayyid Amir, and I'm a retired health scientist and administrator. NIH, and Mr. Ogubi, in, um, in response to the first question, uh, I'm going back to your earlier presentation, you s seem to have framed your response in terms of religious conflict, um, uh, Muslims, Christians, um, and that kind of uh, thinking, <laughs> people think it goes back to the Middle Ages, uh, Europeans, and in some degree, Americans also, have moved on to these religious conflicts that have been relegated to the Middle Ages. Now, the fact is that Baraku, um, this Nigerian um, terrorist organization, um, ISIS, uh, Taliban in Pakistan, they are terrorists, uh, and they are extremists, 
and they don't spare Muslims either. I mean, Barack Haram also have killed a lot of Muslims. In fact, Taliban and ISIS have killed far more Muslims than non-Muslims. They don't make any discrimination. They are wedded to their own very narrow um, fanatical interpretation of Islam. So to think that they represent Islam, um, I think is, is not right. It is just because they are a lot more inimical to uh, Muslims who don't agree with them. And in recently also, you probably noticed in ISIS, in this country, Muslim leaders have condemned them as much with as much strength as they can. And the worldwide, they have been condemned. So if you frame it as a religious conflict, it's not going to find too much resonance in many Western audience because we have moved on. Um, uh, fortunately, I think the conflict goes on in Nigeria and many parts of the world. But um, it is something which we have left behind. Okay, does anyone else have a question? There's a gentleman behind. Should I respond to that before we take the next question? Yeah. Or well, I didn't hear a question. Okay, yeah, it, yeah it's, it seemed like uh, a comment. But I, di I don't think I framed it in Muslim Christian. I think I made it very clear that our civilization is under threat. I, I think that's very clear. I don't think anyone doubts that. Um, <clears throat> I also want to make clear, from her narrative, the shepherd who she ran into, who helped her, was a Muslim man. Now, this Muslim man put her on a bike at the risk of his life and took her to safety. Uh, we came in, we're a Christian organization, and we took her out. We couldn't have made that happen if that Muslim shepherd had not stood up as a moderate and helped her in her moment of distress. And this is all about decent people linking hands together to isolate the radicals. Like I said, and this is what happened in northern Mali. Northern Mali, jihadists came in Mujao, and they overran town cities occupied by Muslims, banned uh, music. And it's just a handful of people that are terrorizing the majority. And so I'm calling on the silent majority to come together and say, we can't let a band of 200 people overrun a town of 10,000 people and kill everyone. And so this is an appeal to humanity's conscience. Now, I will say this, and I want to emphasize this point. Two quick points here. One is that the Boko Haram has attacked at least five Americans. So this is not a Nigerian issue. They've, they've attacked people from 15 countries. They've killed Britons, they've killed Italians, Germans, and so on and so forth. So if we try to make this, oh no, this is just happening in Nigeria. No, it's not true. Uh, just last week, World Magazine, I publicly identified an American uh, who was attacked by Boko Haram, Boko Haram. And the State Department has kept this information from the public for several years. That's why it looks like, oh, it's just happening there, but no. If we knew that in 2011, Americans were attacked by Boko Haram, we would have had the same reaction that we're having to the, uh, the, the slaughter of Jim, Jim Foley. I said I had two points, but I'll just leave it at one so we can take more questions. There's a gentleman at the back there. I have uh, two questions. Maybe Sa can answer part, and, and you can answer that one. I want to know if this Boko Haram, if this group that went to the school was organized, if, it, if they were following instructions from somebody, having walkie-talkies or having information like a center of command, and who is supporting Boko Haram? Maybe you can tell us 
who is giving the money for Boko Haram? Where the money is coming from to pay all these guys that are like a small army and doing all these disasters? Where the money is coming? Maybe Emmanuel can tell, have an idea about this. Were they organized? Were they well organized? That's the question. Well, we don't know. We are. Uh, they are getting the money and where they are getting the materials because in our area they were coming out like a Nigerian army so we don't know whether uh, the Nigerian army have the hands among them whether the money was coming from we don't know either where they were coming from where they were getting the all materials they have well um, you know this this is a a huge question because I mean these are terrorists that have um, RPGs uh, you know they have armored personnel carriers and so on and so forth and the trend we're seeing is the same way I, ISIS has pretty much been armed by the US because um, unfortunately the, the weapons that the US left behind for the Iraqi army have fallen into ISIS arms as they did in Afghanistan in the Taliban's arms we're seeing weapons of the Nigerian army falling into the hands of uh, Boko Haram. But that aside, I mean, it's amazing the trail. Uh, and this is why we pushed for the FTO designation. Amazing the trail of, of arms. Um, Iran <coughs> uh, shipped 13 container loads of arms to Nigeria. Uh, in the press recently, we heard about arms being flown surreptitiously into Nigeria by Turkey. Um, you know, so. The Nigerian army has recovered some arms from Boko Haram that they said, look, this is not our weaponry. These people are getting very advanced arms from elsewhere. Now, again, this is in the media. You can Google this stuff up. Um, there have been Pakistanis who've come out to train Boko Haram in, in northern Mali. Uh, there are Egyptians who came to help them with their ordinances, setting up their equipment. So, look, the bottom line is that there is a nexus out there, and this is what I think, uh, you know, Pope Francis said last week, that we now have what he calls a piecemeal Third World War. It's happening. The atrocities are on huge scales, but it's diffuse, so it doesn't grab our attention the way it would have. It was the Second World War. But we, we, we need to stare it in the face, and we need to address it. And this is why we push for the FTO, so that we can identify the sources of funding and arms for these terror groups who are achieving, I mean, casualties that are, are beyond, you know, a regular war. Uh, one final point I want to make here is this. With regard to the arms flow, one real problematic area for us, uh, for, sorry, the funds flow, is France. France continues to pay millions of dollars in ransom to these people. And the U.S., uh, you know, has not found a way to say, well, you know, you need to stop this because you're energizing these people to do more. Uh, so that's one loophole that we need to find a way to say, you know, you've got to stop feeding these people uh, to kill us. Um, I'd like to add that the uh, Vatican Press Fides today said that Boko Haram has captured 25 cities in the northeastern part over three estates. Um, the Center for Religious Freedom and Hudson Institute doesn't have a position on um, military intervention in, in Nigeria. I want to be clear about that. But there are, ways that the, there are many ways that the U.S. Um,
can help and their help is needed, and one is by investigating the financing and finding out where the money is coming from, um, where the arms are coming from, working with other countries to stop the arms flow, um, to um, give forensic help for these um, that, that Emmanuel was talking about, um, and, and also in, intelligence help, um, where the girls are and um, where the other girls are. There are many, many abductions. This uh, one was gained a lot of attention because 300 uh, girls were taken at once, but every week there are abductions. Mm. And there should be um, some kind of early warning system for uh, at least for villagers to know where Boko Haram is moving and if they're coming in many, many cars and trucks, like Saad described, I mean, there should be ways of um, warning uh, people that they're on their march. We had this, um, this was a demand we made in, in South Sudan during the North-South conflict um, when, when uh, there would be these similar kinds of raids, extremely violent raids. Um, question in the back of the room. Hi, I'm Larry Haas with the American Foreign Policy Council. Sa, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit more about yourself. Can you tell us a little bit more about your religious upbringing, how active you were, uh, going to church, teachings of uh, Christianity, um, how you, you know, what your family is like? I, ju I just, I, I think we just want to know a little bit more about you, if that's okay. Okay, I'm a Christian, I'm, and I'm going to church, the um, EYN church, that means the um, brethren, like this. So I'm a Christian, I'm a real Christian, and I, ho I know God, and I'm following God the way I can. So I'm a Christian, and my parents are real Christian. My father and my mother were Christian, and we were following God. We were going to church. We joined some groups in our area, in our churches. We are a Christian, so we know God because my father was a pastor before. Then we, I'm a real Christian. So you were uh, with the Church of the Brethren? Yeah. Mm. And then um, there is a question in the back, way in the back. There. Okay, here's one here. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Kevin Fahey from uh, Cameras International. Uh, first off, I would like to, just to thank the Hudson Institute as well as Jubilee Campaign for putting on this wonderful event on a quite pertinent, uh, pertinent time frame and issue, um, especially to the Jubilee Campaign for uh, bringing about uh, an ability to educate those who have escaped, such as Saha. Um, it's very similar to work that one of our local partners, the American University of Nigeria in uh, Yola, is doing right now. We have about 11 uh, escaped children, uh, w girls who are now uh, given scholarships to continue their education at AUN. Um, but my question would be more in regards to the recent report from Amnesty International about the uh, severe corruption within the Nigerian military. Um, with, with a lack of governmental support in Northeast Nigeria, a lack of um, a trustworthiness in the military, where are the Nigerian people in, especially in the three states of uh, emergency, where are they to turn? Thank you. Yeah, I, I have often said that between, you know, the 
ineptitude of the government and the ferocity of the insurgents, it's difficult to tell who will kill off Nigeria first. So we're caught between two great evils. Um, you know, that said, um, very frankly, but for the presence, the occasional rare presence of some semblance of military uh, personnel, Christianity would have been completely wiped out in, in northern Nigeria two, three years ago. Now, we now have a situation where you, you travel in the north, you identify a church, not by the singing and the clapping, but by the policeman outside with a gun and a metal detector. I took my kids with me to Nigeria recently, and they were just shocked at the idea that every church you go to is like going through a TSA checkpoint. You know, you have to... Women don't take their bags into church. They have to leave them outside uh, because they're scared of suicide bombers and all of that. So, I mean, um, no, no matter how bad the government is, there's some redeeming value to the fact that they hold that sword so that they can protect um, places... Uh, uh, of worship, for example, in Nigeria. The only problem is uh, recently, a few months ago, uh, um, 200 Boko Haram came into a village. Uh, the church was being guarded by two soldiers, and, and they wiped out the soldiers and killed every, most of the people in the church. So 200 against two is badly outnumbered. And so I honestly am coming to the point, because this is the losses are not sustainable. You have one Catholic church saying, we've lost 2,500 members. One Catholic diocese in Medjugorje said this week, they've lost 2,500 members. Last year, they announced, oh, we lost 50 out of the 51 churches in our diocese. They had one left. But by now, it's probably gone. Um, but this year, they're saying we've lost 2,500 members. It's not sustainable. And I must ask myself, um, as as a human being, as a Christian, and as a lawyer, I said, look, at what point do we say the community should be armed so that they, they put up a fight? Now, here's the thing, and I'll share this. In June of this year, I was actually in Nigeria when this happened. Uh, one community fought back against the terrorists, and they were able to kill 12 of them. They got in touch with the military and they said, you need to come, get the, their bodies, get their weapons so you can investigate, and you need to send reinforcements because they will come back. The next day, military trucks came, uniformed guys came, said, you know, we're here to protect you. Everybody line up in the church. They arrived in the church, and I, I think it was 200 of them that were massacred. It was an ambush. So, I mean, Christians literally... I, I mean, the slaughter is unfathomable at this point. And I want to say this, I, 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 and I think I, I need to make this point, that I was a Washington lawyer just doing my own stuff before someone called me a few years ago and said, look, your people are being killed. You know, I could ignore that and, and just do the Washington thing myself. I said I'll, I'll do this work pro bono for a year. It's five years now. I can't do anything else. And I'm, I'm not, I don't want to lay a guilt trip on you, but I want to say, if you're seeing what I'm seeing, if you're reading what I'm, I'm reading, isn't there a pang of human conscience that says, you know what, this is so wrong, what can we do to stop it? And for me, this is why it's important that we're sharing about this schoolgirl who went to school 
is doing what any parent would ask their kid to do, study hard, do your exams. There was a time when the worst nightmare we had for our kids going to school was that they would flunk or that they would get pregnant or they wouldn't have a date to the prom. The notion that your child can be abducted from school, turned into a slave bride, or converted to Islam, or blown up, that notion is something I think our civilization should not accept. And it, it's something that we need to end. And I, I know that in the States, we're not as far gone as Britain is. But British schoolgirls are leaving England and going to join ISIS in Syria. This is coming close here. I don't want to sound like an alarmist. If you told me 10 years ago that what is going on in Nigeria now would happen, I would have said, that, that's crazy. Nigeria is the largest country in the, in the world with an equal population of Christians and Muslims. There's no way anyone could do this to us. And I think it's the same thing with 9-11. If anyone told us uh, 15 years ago that this would happen in New York, would have said no. I think it's time we wake up and smell. It's not roses. Whatever it is, it's not roses. And that's what our message is uh, today. Um, we have time for one more question, all the way in the back. Hi, I'm John Parkinson with ABC News. Uh, my question is for Sa. I'm wondering if you had an opportunity to speak to President Obama or the administration, uh, the U.S. policymakers here in Washington. What would your message be for them, and uh, what sort of help do you think that the U.S. government could give to the women that uh, were kidnapped? Did you hear the question? Yeah. If you had a chance to speak to the U.S. government, what would your message be? I can speak to him that anything he can do just to bring back uh, our girls to us because we are now here, we are thinking about them, we don't know what the condition they are, what is happening with them. If he can agree to help and bring back our girls, is good. Let, let me add here real quick that... Um, the initiative we're doing is to help them, you know, go back to school in a safe environment. A couple of the girls we found uh, were in schools that were attacked before, and they were moved to this school for safety, and then the terrorists came back and actually abducted them. Uh, so this, this is um, terror on steroids. Um, and so uh, this is an initiative we're hoping that more people uh, can support, uh, and we, we, I'm calling it Bring Our Girls Back to School. Um, and so uh, I do want to say that um, in the reports in the media indicate that uh, President Obama is pulling back the aerial surveillance that was meant to be helping search for the girls. And this occurred last month. And we're saying, please, uh, you know, please just go back, continue the search. And the final thing I want to say here is if a pro bono uh, you know, charity group, we're doing this for charity. If we could investigate this for one month and find this out, why would all the military, the U.S. intelligence agents that have gone to Nigeria have been there for the last two months? Why couldn't they find out what, what it took me one month to find out that these girls are being blown up? They are supposedly collaborating with the Nigerian government, but we're not seeing it. And I, I, the last illustration I'll give here is one of the parents saying to me, you know, we, a witch doctor from Cameroon said to us, you know, bring $70,000, we'll help you find your kids. 
And we were going to levy ourselves because we were desperate. And finally, we heard in the news that the Americans, the Brits, the Chinese, the French said they would help us find our girls. And so we didn't pay the witch doctor that money. I think it's illustrative of how these people are desperate. They're regressing into another age. But we could be the hope, the beacon of light that will, will help them weather the storm. And that, that's all we ask, really. I thank you very much for your attention and your well, time. I, I want to thank Asai and Emmanuel both for their presentations and to say that these um, scholarships for these <coughs> girls is a wonderful, positive, constructive, and, and defiant answer to Boko Haram, whose very name means um, education is a sin. So thank you very much. Thank you.